On this episode of the John Talks podcast, I caught up with Brian Fonseca. And if there's one word to describe Brian, it's that he's a hustler. Brian is a content-making machine and has worked for multiple outlets such as SB Nation, Nets Daily, Backpack Broadcasting, Slam Magazine, and most recently is a co-host for DraftKings Tonight on MSG Network with Nick Pollock. We chat about covering the NBA, breaking stories, and how to fix boxing. Here he is, Brian Fonseca. You currently have five jobs, or you work for five different places? Is that is that fair? Uh, I mean, currently, it'd be like none, right? Because of the situation we're in. Um, right. <laughs> let me see. I uh, well, technically, I'm still doing some freelance writing, and obviously, still doing the podcast. So that's a couple of things. And you know, like MSG is on hold. There was another opportunity that I had just accepted the day before the NBA got canceled, and everything mm-hmm. just started. You know, the domino effect started and things like that. So that uh, that got pushed back as well. So, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that are up in the air. But right now, I'm just doing a bunch of different things independently until, you know, we start to open things back up again. Right. So, I mean, I have you as, you know, at Backpack Broadcasting with Dexter Henry, uh, podcast host, correspondent, creative strategist, everything like that. Uh, Sports Fan Journal, Slam Magazine, MSG Networks, and then... Side hustle is that I knew you always worked a lot of jobs because I always used to work a lot of jobs too. Um, right. Is that all fair, or am I yeah, missing a I, few other things? No, I would just say I would even like just to to narrow it down. Like the I don't think Slam is worth mentioning right now. I don't think the Sports Fan Journal is mentioning right now. I would just say like in order to simplify it, like you could mention you know the things that I currently do, which would be the podcast, and that I've done work at other places like. And then you could include uh, MSG, right. Slam, SB Nation. That, those are pretty much, yeah. I think that would suffice. And people could figure out the rest. <laughs> How weird is it to be home doing nothing, essentially? Um, Or at least not at the speed that you've been at. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I was doing a lot of work from home as it is. So, I mean, I'm just kind of like, at this point, like this this doesn't affect me that much as i thought it would work wise it's just you know now i don't have the option to go cover certain events because i'm not outside because i'm not trying to be outside because i don't want to get affected um but like at the same time it's like i'm i'm you know i'm able to still stream i'm able like i have wi-fi i have a phone i have a laptop i have a controller i have a headset like i have all these things where i can still produce content for my house so, I mean, what else are we going to do? And it allows you to also catch up on things that you probably missed out on. People, people, people want rest, obviously, so that helps. Like, today, I kind of, like, I slept too much, so I'm, like, a little, a little, a little, like, you know, recovering from that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different set of, it's a different set of issues, but, you know, hopefully the, the, the big picture thing gets taken care of before too long, because... <laughs> That's that's difficult, you know. That's difficult. Right. I wonder what this is going to be like when it all ends. Like, are we never going to shake hands again? Are we never going to hug? Are we never going to, you know, dap up? Like, what do you think is going to happen? I want to hug all my friends right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope not. But it's funny because I actually, like, me and Dexter kind of joked about this. I was saying, man, I, I wonder if the dap is dead. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you have a job interview let's say i don't know what the timeline is right but it's reasonable to think that i mean governor cuomo's been saying at least for new york we're going to peak in 21 days which you know three weeks from now that means maybe may we'll start to see the numbers drop a little bit and then by june 
you're not back to normal, but you're starting to let people outside more with, you know, restrictions. And then later on in the year, things are back to relatively normal. Uh, and hopefully by then we'll be closer to the vaccine so that we can sort of nip this in the bud before it reemerges at some point. But I think that if, you know, like if you have a job interview in September, are you shaking the person's hand? Is right. he going to be offended? Is he or she going to be offended if you don't? Or could you just be like, Corona, here's my elbow. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of wonder. But I, I have I have a couple of theories about this. I think in some respects, this is a wake-up call that can be turned into a positive. Perhaps we were too dirty as a society. We felt like we were too invincible. We felt like we could not be touched by these things. When it was in China going on, people from America sort of dismissed it and was like, ah, whatever, you know, that's going on over there. That's not going to happen here in our shores because that's just typical American arrogance. And then when it happens and we're seeing the outbreak and we're probably going to have it worse numerically than a lot of the other places that are getting slapped up by this, then, you know, it humbles you and it makes you reevaluate the way you've done things. So I think that, you know, people are going to be cleaner. People are going to be more conscious of things like this potentially breaking out. We're going to take pandemics more seriously. We're actually hopefully going to have a pandemic team and not have somebody who fires them, you know, in office and things like that. And I also believe that, look, there's going to be like it's going to be a while before we get past this. But when we do, there's going to be a certain energy around. Right. Like the first think about how emotional it's going to be when we're watching the first NBA game again, even if there's no fans in the audience. And then mm -hmm. later on, you fast forward to, you know, the fans actually being in, in the audience, things like that. Then it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be emotional. It's going to be something that brings people together and people aren't going to really take it for granted because they miss it so much. So I think there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of it long term. But we're going to keep getting slapped up in the short run until you know, we sort of uh, let this run its course and really try to take care of it with the medical stuff, the science stuff and all that. Yeah, I'm watching old games with my girlfriend and she keeps hitting me because I keep spoiling what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> we were watching uh, we were watching the other day just an old Met game and I said, oh, yeah, he had to home run here. And then, you know, of course he does it. And, you know, I, I envy her because it's the first time she's watching the games. And it's like that for other sports, too. And I, I feel like I've seen every old game now. Like I saw LeBron in high school. I saw the Oak Hill versus, um, oh God, where did he go? Mount St. Vincent, uh, St. Mary, right? Uh, if I, if yeah, I'm yeah. getting that right. Yeah, the, the, the Carmelo Anthony LeBron high school matchup on ESPNU or ESPN Classic. Um, you know, I feel like I've seen everything now and I'm just ready for sports to be back. But, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> I think that's just how we all feel. But let's, um, let's, get, in, let's get into this, um, into the Brian Fonseca story. So, you know, you graduate. Graduate from St. Francis, Brooklyn, 2016. Um, you know, I know that you were working other jobs at the, at the time as well. Um, the one thing that I really admired about you is that you bet on yourself. Um, you had a, a nice position at St. Francis, Brooklyn, right, as, as the second SID. Is that fair to say at yeah, the time? Yeah, the, yeah, the assistant to, to Dave Ganzel, the great Dave Ganzel, right. who was the director of athletic communications. So I was the assistant director of athletic communications. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not a bad job for somebody who just graduates, but it's not what you wanted to do. You're, you're a content creator, um, not someone who will help create the content for the content creators. Um, but I'm just curious, too, because you were, what, maybe 22 at the time, 23 at the time, um, so to speak. Um, 
what what made you make that decision? Who who helped guide you there? And I mean, obviously, it's paid off. But just take me back to that time. The time of actually taking the job. No, the like leaving the job. Okay, so because I took the job at 22, yeah. When I took the job, I was fresh out of, yeah, pretty much fresh out of college because you know I I had only been a graduate for a few months. Um, and luckily, you know, there was an opening. I had already worked in the department while I was a student, just sort of helping out writing features and doing stuff like that. So it, in theory, it was kind of a promotion when you look back at it uh, in, in some respects. Um, fast forward to when I left two years later in 2018. So I'm 24 by this time. And yeah, I just sort of looked around and I was like, look, things are starting to move outside of this in the stuff that I really wanted to do, like a little more financially, a little more visibility. Uh, and I had enough money in the bank, which is important to note because like it's, you can't, it's harder to make those decisions when you don't have some money saved up. And I'm somebody who, you know, I mean, this whole quarantine thing, I kind of don't really spend that much money as it is outside of like the essential stuff. Like I'm not somebody who's going out every Friday night and mm -hmm. spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on bottles and women and cocaine and all this stuff. Like I'm not about that life. You know what I mean? Like this is not what I do. But um, I, I basically, I basically at that time was just sort of looking around, looking at like the stuff that was growing outside of that. And I felt like it was the best decision so that I can give more to those things around what I was doing that I actually wanted to pursue. And so that they could find somebody who's gonna be, you know, there more often than I could have been. Because it was tough making it work the previous two years, but I was able to make it work because I wasn't getting as much uh, as much work outside of that. But then the net stuff started picking up, just the local scene in general, more boxing, MMA stuff started picking up. Our podcast started growing and we were now in a studio outside of where we recorded it at that college uh, in the in in um in a room that's actually no longer exists uh, in the college because they tore down the walls and made it part of something bigger. So, yeah, like it, that's basically what it was. And, you know, looking back at it, yeah, I have no regrets at all. You know what I mean? I felt like it was the right decision at the perfect time. I left at a time where, you know, it gave them a lot of time to find somebody because I had left in September. So this is well before basketball season and that craze. Um, and they actually thanked me for that on the way out. I actually really haven't visited since. And I actually wanted to uh, very soon before, you know, the recent uh, outbreak and stuff like that. Like I had actually been planning on maybe popping up to a game before the season ended. But obviously, you know, things took a turn. Yeah. No, I hear you. And that's the one thing, too, that it's funny. They don't tell you this when you're in college, but like, you know, you're going to be taking on crummy jobs or maybe not the best beats in the world um, for what? Maybe like 20 bucks a story. If, oh, that, yeah. you know, as an announcer, you're doing a game for like thirty dollars and, you know, you have to drive all the way out there and gas and tolls and all that. You're not really making any money um, through that. And it, I, I just I don't know. I feel like we're still in the weeding out process. And I see guys that I started with that are now going back to school and are getting their business degree, law degree, um, teaching degree. And I don't want to say that, like, I take pride in their demise because, you know, ultimately, if, if this is not for you, you're better off realizing that now and, you know, pursuing another passion. Uh, however, like, I don't know, there, there, there's, there's some sort of, like, survival of the fittest mentality that I feel when you take these jobs and uh do you feel that way too yeah i mean because it's super especially in a market like new york it's super competitive 
And yeah, you're right because when you're studying and you're you're sort of looking at the landscape of things and then somebody's offering you $25 to do a story, you're like, "Hey, you know what I mean? Like I'm mm -hmm. in college, I can make this extra money. This is not going to be like this forever." And then 2-3 years down the line, it's like, "Oh, this is kind of how it is when you're in your 20s." You know what I mean? And for some people even more than that. So it's just a very interesting landscape a very unfair one that i've been you know obviously outspoken about and that's part of it too it's like if if you're gonna bet on yourself it's either you're gonna do that or you're gonna continue to just accept wages that don't really work for you and that's part of why i left sb nation to begin with because i also left them this was a year later this september of 2019 so back-to-back -back septembers made sort of a big move and both of them also were just like especially the SB Nation one was more of a money situation and just I didn't like you know just how they how they compensate uh the people that contribute to their team sites because it's worth a lot more than what we're giving and you're getting a stipend for like a few hundred a month and a lot of people are cool with that because they have like a real job and this is something mm -hmm. they do on the side but for the people that are actually trying to pursue this it doesn't make a lot of sense but then what the problem is that it becomes sort of an industry standard because so many kids are just willing to accept it and get in the game and it's not something that I completely understood at 22 that I now understand at well, that I understood at 25 last year and now at 26 because I'm looking at it and I'm like, no, you can't continue to accept these things. Otherwise, it's not going to change. And that's how you that's how I feel like you you really make an impact is if you believe you can make change. If you're crazy enough to think that it's possible, then, yeah, then you just pass on the info to this person and this person and then it just spreads. And then, you know, let the results be the results. Right. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but. SB Nation, would you say, is that your first, like, big break covering professional sports? Ooh. Um, I've had some pretty good opportunities locally with uh, BQE Media, the newspaper, where I've been able to cover, like, big events, like the first UFC that came to Madison Square Garden right. in 205 in November. And that was where Conor McGregor was the main event. And we obviously know how big of a star Conor McGregor is and was at that time especially. Um, but in terms of the platform, the brand, the exposure, yeah, because, and it wasn't just a purely SB Nation thing. Nets Daily is one of the SB Nation team sites that's actually, you know, immensely popular with uh, the people who like their team. In terms of uh, the NBA landscape, they're probably top five and in, in even just something like followers. And I'm not yeah. a somebody who cares so much about like i don't base my content around how many views or how many you know uh interactions does it get necessarily like if it's good it's good and then you just sort of let the impact be the impact of it but yeah i would say in terms of a brand that that was one that helped for sure and but i would say even beyond that msg is another level like MSG, well, yeah right yeah like msg is another level where you know, to be able to get on TV at 25, even if it was just a segment. And then we did have the show, the the, the, the DraftKings show in the spring and right. summer of last year, which I have no idea what's going to happen with that this year. <laughs> but but um, 
you know, that that was probably the one where I was like, okay, like things are really going in the right direction. Like I feel like I studied the right thing in college mm-hmm. <laughs> and have made the right decisions. And that was something, the MSG thing was something that was in the works from the time I was 24. It just took a while to actually like, because there was a lot of uh, meetings and tryouts and all that kind of thing. And a lot of, you know, people in the offices trying to figure out, all right, what exactly do we want to do? So it was a long process. And then, you know, I was able to finally get some, 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 some stuff in 2019. Right. Um, all right. Well, we'll get to that because I, I do. I obviously do want to talk about that, but I want to go back to SB Nation Nets Daily. Um, you know, I spoke to Dexter about this too, um, and you know, not that it should affect the way that a team is covered anyway, but you know, you grew up a Knicks fan, so did Dexter. Um, you know, because the Knicks were New York's team. You know, you grew up with the New Jersey Nets. They move over to Brooklyn, um, but the one thing that at least I've noticed is that. The Nets fan base, they don't get the coverage that the Knicks do. So Nets Daily is huge for them. And there's a lot of subscribers there. I asked Dexter Dexter this. I'll ask you this. Did you feel the weight of the Nets fan and and what you meant to them in terms of delivering coverage to them while you were, uh, you know, with Nets Daily? Huh. That's interesting. I think that, I mean, well, it was interesting because I had sort of a weird experience there the three years I was covering them because at the site, Dexter was already gone by that time. Uh, he wasn't really doing much at the time I was there. He sort of just brought me in and then left. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, here's a here's a parting gift. You're welcome. Um, right. So I was just – so with me, I had an interesting experience there because – I'm not a Nets fan. I don't really have a fan of an NBA team. I did watch the Knicks and Nets a lot when I was younger because the Knicks, you know, they're New York's team. They're on TV mm-hmm. a lot and things like that. And with the Nets, my brother is a Nets fan. So he used to bring me to a lot of games when I was uh, like he was a season ticket holder for a, for nine, ten year period. So a lot of my childhood. Yeah, we would go to Jersey, go to Nets games and, you know, eat burgers and watch t- pretty bad basketball sometimes. So that's kind of what it was. And then I was the only pretty much non-net fan that was covering the team so yes fans are appreciative of the coverage but they also want you to be part of part of them so i was kind of like this outsider when i was there when people real when people learned that i wasn't a fan on the team because i basically said it i was like yo i'm not a net fan like i'm approaching this from a reporter's perspective mm-hmm. where the sb nation team sites a lot of the people who cover these teams you know they're fans of the team that's sort of the, the business model and how it operates. And a lot of kids want to come in and a lot of people want to come in, period, and just be around a team that they love. I didn't love the team, so my existence in that respect was a little bit different. But, yeah, I'm, I'm forever appreciative of that. And there's still a lot of Net fans who follow me still um, because I will talk about the Nets every now and then because they're a part of the NBA. They're in this market. I'm in this market and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was a little bit of a different existence. Well, and they're cultivating a lot of co- uh, coverage now, you know, and rightfully so. Uh, right. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with them next year, too. Uh, another big thing that happened for you, too, or at least I saw you, is from, my, from my own perspective, go viral with the Hamadou Diallo uh, tweet. So oh. can you give, give, us, give, give, me, give me the whole backstory with that? Because I, I remember seeing, as reported by Brian Fonseca, and I was like, Brian, who's I was like, that Brian? Oh, I know yeah. Brian. That's my guy, that- Brian. So tell me about it. I think I wonder, I, like, it's funny because I think people people sort of forget about that. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, there have been a couple, there have been, a, you know, a few things that I've broken, but that was by far the one that took off the most. I had no idea it would. And then as soon as I tweeted it out, I sort of saw like a bunch of Kentucky people get their hands on it. And I was like, oh, man, because remember at the time he hadn't played at Kentucky yet. He had just committed there. He was there for half a semester. And the thinking was that, OK, he just commits for half a semester. He practices with the team so he could just enter the draft and use Kentucky as sort of a practice run. Then I had found out because I just I just knew where he was and knew a couple people that had contact with him uh, at the time that he was in Queens. So, you know, I just reached out to some people like a reporter does. Multiple sources told me that he had planned on coming back. He basically said, like, yeah, that that's what he's going to do. And then, sure enough, a day or so later, he announced it on his page that he was indeed coming back. And, you know, at that point, I like I felt I finally felt the anxiety that I've heard Dan Levitard and other people talk about for a long period of time. And, you know, this when you have something, it's like, you know, you you know, because you have the good sources on it and things like that. But. You always you you have that little bit of journalistic cynicism where man this could turn this person changes their mind this this and that and then people are gonna you know call you a fool and get you out of the industry like that sort of thing so for a 24 hour period I was a little bit on edge even after the fact because I was confident he was staying but at the same time it's like yo what if like five percent of me was like yo what if this doesn't happen in the way that I was told mm-hmm. it was gonna happen by these people who are good sources but you know it all worked out and that that, that was sort of an interesting thing um in itself and I, and because I'm not really someone who like yes I'm a reporter but I'm not someone who's a newsbreaker right? right I'm not somebody who's out here like breaking news in that way I've never fancied myself to be that kind of guy and I probably am not going on that trajectory because I want to be able to sleep <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean like I want to be able to just do fundamental things like that but you know when you have news and you can break news you got to be able to do it like that's that's part of what we're doing at least even as broadcasters. During those 24 hours, are you looking at replies? Because I'm sure you've gotten a bunch of, you know, Big Blue Nation saying, all right, he's coming back. Or I'm sure there's other people saying, who's this Brian guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) All of the above, yeah. Yeah. And usually I'm not somebody who looks at replies that much. I mean, I try to because I try to, like, interact with people because I'm not not a total jerk. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I could respond to people on social media and things like that. But out of curiosity, yeah, I was looking at what people were saying. And then after he had announced – uh, that that he had been coming back. I, I did, you know, probably have some smart replies to a few, just a few people <laughs> who, you know, may have may have tried to disparage my name before that happened. <laughs> have you spoken to Hammy since, or you know, since that's happened? Not really. Not like I I interacted with him once in the NBA locker room because I mean, naturally, you know, the Thunder right. played the Nets and that sort of thing. But not not a great deal of interaction on that front. Um, you know, so, I mean, right now, I don't know, I don't know who I'd be interacting with in the NBA because right now there are no NBA games at this point, but yeah, not, not, not so much. All right. Uh, I'm curious though, another good relationship that you have a professional basketball player, obviously the net Spencer Dinwiddie, um, you know, who, who turned, who had a really good season, um, early on. I still, I still like the guy, um, you know, how, how did you cultivate that? Because I'm sure, you know, you guys are very close in age and all of that. But, you know, he's an NBA player. You're probably just one of many other NBA reporters that he's going to, you know, interact with along the way. So how do you stand out and cultivate that um, source and that relationship? 
It's funny. I actually haven't talked to Spencer that much lately, just because, like, obviously I'm not around the team right. like that. Uh, but yeah, like he's, but he's somebody that if I reach out, he'll reply usually 95% of the time, which mm-hmm. is good considering, you know, NBA players have a lot of people that are reaching out to them these right. days. Um, 2016 was when he was waived by the Bulls and then the Nets picked him up after waving Yogi Ferrell, which at the time people forget was very controversial because Yogi Ferrell then had a big, you know, uh, stretch with the Dallas Mavericks that landed him a two-year contract. And obviously, if you ask who's the better player now, it's laughably Spencer Dinwiddie. Right. Uh, easily. But at that point, that was his first year with the Nets 2016-17. And at the same time was my first year covering the Nets. Uh, so I was at Nets Daily. And I just did a story on him because in conversations that I had with him in the locker room and things like that, he was very just smart, interesting, engaging, like all those sort of things that you want as somebody who's covering a team or somebody who's covering athletes or just people in general. So I just wanted to do a feature on him and just how he thinks and just what he thinks and, you know, just a general sort of wide ranging discussion that we put out. And I felt like I captured it well enough to the point where he actually had it pinned to his profile for three months, like into the summer or whatever. And yeah, so that was something that, you know, anytime that I felt like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do this story, I felt like I can go for him to comment. I did other follow-up features on him on just, you know, things that transcend the sports because while we are people who cover sports, we're getting stories of people uh, at the end of the day. Like it's much more than what goes on in between the lines during a singular game, especially with me, I like focusing on sort of big picture things that yes, that happen within sports, but a lot of my favorite stories that I've been able to work on have been about things that sort of transcend sports. And he's somebody who really captures that just, just based on how he thinks, how he approaches things. And obviously now he's had, he has an increasing number of things that are going on outside of basketball. So I'm actually happy for him in that respect as well. Right. No, 100%. And I think one of the things that I like about you is your versatility, too. And you mentioned how it's not just, you know, it's not just sports. It's not just breaking news to you. You want to try and get another side of it, too. Um, I think backpack broadcasting was a huge opportunity for you, even though it's not ESPN or it's not MSG or whatever it is. Um, But how much did you grow? And and it's funny because Dexter is obviously our friend. um, But, you know, Dexter also a very, a very... um, a person that hustles a lot too, and he wants to get to greater heights and he's doing great things too. Um, but I'm just curious, what did you learn in that time working with Dexter? And, and, you know, um, I'm sure you, there was a lot of trial by fire, but for you, how could you encapsulate that time? He's one of the people that have, has taught me that that's how you learn. It's just through like one day he had a, he had somebody who was going to show up. We were both covering, this is how it started with backpack broadcasting actually. Cause we had already been working together at St. Francis for a few months. You know, I was the person that I was still a student at the time. I was sports editor of the newspaper and I would come on at halftime to do the analysis of the game or whatever the case may be. And that was sort of my introduction to broadcasting, something I had always wanted to do. Just didn't really know how I was going to go about that. Met Dexter and he gave me that opportunity and we hit it off right away. In March of that same uh, season, so this is 2016, um, it was the PSAL championships, the A and B level championships at St. Francis College being that I was a student there and a worker there, we were going to be at St. Francis. I was going to be at St. Francis anyway. And so was him, you know, um, ended up writing about it in the newspaper, but he had told me that he had a reporter that was going to show up, but couldn't 
uh, you know, to do a stand-up or whatever the case may be, he was like, yo, you want to do a rap package? And I was like, sure. So we ended up doing one on Telecom or whatever. It's actually still online. It's not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was wolfing. I had, like, a serious beard at the time. I'm a lot better and more comfortable in front of the camera than I was at that point. But, yeah, I think that and with, with Dexter, it's like, and you know this firsthand, and I've told him this before, and I've told this, I've told him this on the podcast, and this is something that I'm going to continue to say, is that he himself, just him, is responsible for a lot of people's growth in the time that he's been at St. Francis, and even after that, over the past mm, seven, eight years or so, because he's been a, he was at St. Francis from 2012 till about 2018, because he left right before I did, right. and then got the AccuWeather job. Um, but he's somebody who's influenced so many people and not even just people who are on camera or people who are writers, but a lot of people who are behind the camera, people like Maria Frischilla, who does social media stuff, people like our boy, Matt Feniza, who's now the head of video at, at like, a, um, I don't even know what the, the company is. I forgot, but he's doing a lot of great stuff, working with like rock bands and stuff. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And then Luis Velez, who is his successor at St. Francis right now, who does a lot of great things out side of that gregory alcala who's a videographer at slam uh me you you frank stanfield who's now going to be doing stuff for fantasy baseball at cbs sports radio so he's influenced a lot of those people and if you find if you track down like all these people they're all gonna say look like dexter's a big reason for why i'm here and and that's i think the power of like just working with him all this time he's been a big reason for my development and we still work together obviously closely because we have the podcast 100 we 116 episode uh episodes recorded episode 116 is going to be out soon and then even last night we were both casually playing 2k at night to like 1 30 in the morning you know yeah. what i mean so it's like that's sort of what it is no i think you hit it right on the head with dexter too and i, I certainly owe a lot to him uh, for my career and what he's been able to do for me and him just taking a chance on me. And, you know, it's, it, it obviously, it's one thing to, to know how talented he is. Um, but he's just right. a nice guy. He could have just said, you know what, go away, shoo. Like I'm going to worry about myself. And he's just not that guy. He, he would have an, like if a fire hydrant started talking to him, he would actually respond very courteously and be like, yeah, man. So how's it going? Whatever. whatever. Like he's just that kind of dude. Like he'll have an engaging conversation with the broomstick. It does not matter. Like he's one of the <laughs> nicest people. He's one of the nicest people for real. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, another thing too, before we get to, you know what, let's, let's get to MSG now too. Um, so you mentioned how it had been in the works for a few years too. Um, what were those conversations and how did it end up, uh, turning into DraftKings tonight. They had planned on doing, I don't know how much of this I'm frankly allowed to say for reasons that I probably could get into off air. Um, but they had been planning on doing some, just some other content in the year of uh, 2018 that fell through. And I was going to be a part of what that uh, program was going to be or whatever the case may be but then I was sort of kept in the loop for other opportunities down the line the first thing I actually did was shot in uh, early 2019 and then uh, aired right after which was um, the people talking sports sponsored by Kia where we were literally in a Kia driving around New York City Jennifer Williams from Fox 5 who's probably also one of my mentors and she was driving around uh, in the car, and then it was the other three of us just talking about like a whole wide variety of different subjects from 
basically like fantasy sports to you know how big could soccer be who was your favorite nick growing up do you have any stories about whatever i told the story about how one time i went to a knicks nets game when i was like 15 16 years old i got an autograph from nate robinson who then borrowed my marker said that he would give it back to me signed a whole bunch of different autographs from fans in attendance actually went back to me and gave me the marker (laughs) which is actually pretty cool because you know you would think that he just run away from it as opposed to somebody like tony douglas when i tried to get his autograph he said he would do it and never came back you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. the comparison was there um but yeah the msg stuff got started there and then you know i was sort of in the loop like they had told me all right we have plans on doing this DraftKings show uh, we'd like you to be a part of it. It ended up being me and Nick Pollock, who runs Pitcher List, who me and Nick hit it off right away to the point where I had him featured in my first Side Hustle episode. So me and Nick, we had chemistry from literally day one, which is very important if you're doing any form of audio, video, you know, just working in this medium in general. And yeah, that all, that all sort of just happened just by just by putting myself out there and how MSG actually discovered me was through the ain't hard to tell podcast. And we were only 20 episodes in at the time that I was contacted the very first time uh, to just meet with them and talk about some stuff. We had just done 20 episodes. And at that point we were still just in a boardroom in St. Francis college. We hadn't yet found a studio. We were just doing a DIY setup with a TriCaster mics and all that stuff. We had just had sky zoo on the show. Um, it got across somebody's radar there and you know, the rest, the rest is sort of still taking shape, I guess, to this day. I remember that Kia episode. What was the controversial take you had? You said Hoosiers was overrated or what was the, it was, what was the movie? It was, yes, it was Hoosiers was overrated. <laughs> You're dead on. You are dead on. That because movie what, was good the first time and not since. Well, well, Hoosier, because what Hoosiers is, is basically how a lot of white people want basketball to be in middle America, <laughs> where they beat this all black team and the story. And it's just it's just it's just whatever, man. Like, it's not it's not better than Coach Carter. You know what I no, mean? Like no, Coach Carter might be the best basketball movie out there. I mean, I'll, any any time it's on TV, I'll watch it. Yeah, Coach Carter is up there for me. Um, and in that same breath, when I mentioned, I actually did mention Coach Carter, but the one that I said that I love the most in terms of basketball movies was Hoop Dreams, which is more of a documentary. It's not really a movie, mm-hmm. but it, because of that, like I'm a, I'm a documentary guy. Like I love documentaries and things like that. There's actually some ESPN thirty for thirties that I gotta catch up on right after this. But mm-hmm. um, for example, like Hoop Dreams is really, really good because I just love the authenticity of that story. Whereas with Hoosiers, I mean, I know it's based on a true story, but just the movie itself, it's very, yeah. it's just cheesy and just overrated to me. My it just, yeah, it just doesn't hold up anymore. The assistant coach was the town drunk. Like, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it was just a mess. I liked Blue yeah. Chips better than I liked Hoosiers. Um, Blue Chips is a good one too, yeah. yeah. No, that's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think of other other good basketball movies but you know what yeah I, I my thing is when it comes to movies at least for me i rank movies on will i watch it if it's on tv like i know i know mm. feel the dreams is a good baseball he got movie. game that was the other one he right. got game was okay. the other one yes there you go oh yeah no i mean he got game of course that's a classic too and that's yeah. something that i'll watch and that's why i'll hold he got game and coach carter above hoosiers even Same. though hoosiers been around a lot probably won more awards but if it's on tv i'll watch it that's how i rank the movies that i yeah. like in my favorite movies Sure. Um, yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so, so tell me, um, so tell me about the origination of side hustle too. Cause I know that that's something you're proud of. 
Yeah, um, it's it's messed up because of the, <laughs> everything going on. Like season two, I had wanted to plan on like getting that together soon, uh, but right. we'll see. That's that. But I do plan on bringing it back. But how 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 that sort of came about was maybe less than a year or about a year prior. I just had this idea where I wanted to I wanted to do a sit down sort of interview series, but I was still working out how and where I wanted to do it. And I ended up shopping the idea around to a few places, and then I felt I felt that it was best to just do it on my own, do it independently, uh, buy some equipment, get some people to help with the videography and uh, editing end of it. I edited it myself, but I mean, in terms of the lighting and the audio mm-hmm. editing and the tedious stuff on the back end, I had help with that. Um, yeah, I had just wanted to do it and show something besides sports stuff. And... You know, a lot of Nets fans were following me for Nets stuff, and they would get pissed off when I would tweet about boxing, and people would follow me for boxing and MMA, but they would get pissed off when I would tweet about other stuff. So it was just, it's just, that's my constant fight on Twitter. It's like, I do so many different things that people are like, yo, I can't even follow this guy because there's so much going on, when it's like, yo, you can't box people in. People need to be allowed to be versatile. That's the only way you stay in this space. Like, I know talking about one thing and sticking to that one thing will get you a lot of followers, but then you don't have range, and you're not allowing yourself to grow and be expansive and try different things like you right now you have a podcast that's a sign of growth you know what i mean this is something that's new for you and for me with side hustle i just wanted to do it and do something that transcends sports sort of like i mentioned before and in the eight episodes you know i was able to get people and we didn't really talk about x's and o's and you know results and nba championships the first episode with nick pollock we talked about like yo what goes in to starting this business that has now grown into pretty much the fastest growing fantasy sports website that's independent you know what i mean and and how do you manage that despite working full-time as somebody who does work with a film distribution company managing their website. Like, how like how does all this happen? Mm-hmm. The second episode, which is probably my personal favorite and the one that has the most... Uh, that, that It's the one that got screened at an actual event uh, for an award I was nominated for. And it was with Jillian DeCourcy, who is an MMA fighter, uh, MMA fighter and a mental health counselor. How... How does that even work if you're helping people with their brain damage and then giving out brain damage every so often? Because you're <laughs> someone who trains as a fighter, but then you're helping people. And she's someone who, look, I've actually recommended a friend to her recently to be their therapist. You know what I mean? Like, these are also people that I have relationships with, so that helps as well. And just, you know, Dexter is obviously there in the eighth and the final episode of season one where, you know, we talked about just the origins of backpack broadcasting, the importance of betting on yourself, kind of like what we're doing now, and just all these sort of different things and it's basically encompasses how people have gotten to where they are and the things that they're willing to sacrifice to get to where they want to go next yeah no i hear you um all right just a few uh a few other rapid fire things before uh before we get going too um and yeah i just want to talk uh get it more now into the x's and o's when it comes to sports too i'm curious from your standpoint um if you wanted to, right, like say you wanted to dedicate the resources to finding out the four Nets play. Well, we know Kevin Durant is one of them, but one of the four, uh, the other four Nets players who were tested positive. Do you think you would have the ability to do so? Maybe. Um, I obviously didn't. Um, right. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously the Nets, you know, kudos to them for, I guess, wanting to keep that private. I know mm-hmm. that other NBA players would probably want to know just in case 
you know, whatever the case may be, they've had contact with them. But I guess it fundamentally doesn't really matter since, you know, it's you know that it's players on the nets. Um, mm-hmm. But m- maybe, but the fact that, I, you know what, maybe not because the fact that it hasn't been uncovered by people who've been around a team more this year probably says either that people have tried to no avail or people are just respecting, I guess, the privacy portion of this. Right. When Katie and Kyrie signed, was there a part of you that was like, man, I want to get back to Nets Daily? No. <laughs> no. Or at least I, I back just, in the Nets locker room? Yeah, no, nah, I, I was just because I'm somebody who like, I just I just don't care about like right. where the attention is. You know what I mean? Like it just that for me, that's not that wasn't a driver of things. And I also knew that like Kevin Durant wouldn't play the season. So maybe that impacts it as well. I don't know. But for me, it's just it like I just don't move in that way. Like I I mean, if you look at the people I got for side hustle, they weren't they're not the most popular people that I know. You know what I mean? If you look at the, some of the stories that I did on, you know, MMA fighters and features and stuff like that, not all of them are like super immensely popular. Uriah Hall is not necessarily a household name in 2020 that he probably would have been in the ultimate fighter when he had the spinning roundhouse kick to knock the other dude out whose name is escaping me so many years ago. Um, so, no, not really. I've never moved in that way. Okay. And the last thing, too, um, and you know what? Maybe maybe it hasn't affected me yet, but I'm curious. What do you think boxing needs to do to get back to where it was in the you know 70s and 80s? Because I'm sure, you know, like had I told my father back in the day, hey, you know, boxing is great now, but it will never be this popular again or it's, it's going to go down. You know, you're somebody who, who is young. You were not around when Tyson and, uh, and Ali were, you know, the, the, the class of the sports world. So what do you think it's going to have to take? People, and by people, I mean certain, you know, companies and things like that. Like, they need to get together and actually make some of these fights. ESPN, like, boxing is very segregated. ESPN has their stable of fighters with top rank. And uh, with Golden Boy has their stable of fighters at the zone. And the Matchroom has their stable of fighters at the zone. But then PBC has Fox. It's just all over the place. Whereas in MMA, I think what helps MMA by comparison is that you have UFC, you have Bellator, you have one championship and things of that nature. But you have a bunch of fighters in the UFC. You have a bunch of fighters in Bellator. So you're going to fight who's in your promotion. And good fights are going to be made because there's rankings, there's a system, there's balance. And the most important thing that MMA does when they have guys competing against each other and women competing against each other is there's a form of balance that's there where you don't feel like you're watching something that's so one-sided all the time. And boxing has a big issue with one-sided fights. And they have an issue with the business aspect of it that's cannibalizing the sport where Deontay Wilder is somebody who, you know, like Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, for example, that's that's ESPN and Fox coming together. That's PBC and 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 top rank coming together to make that fight happen. Then the zone wants to float out that, hey, Anthony Joshua, why don't he fight this person, this and that? I don't believe in the zone like and, and then actually wanted to make that Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury fight. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, people just need to like the zone is one of the reasons that things aren't really moving like that because, you know, they, they have a lot of fighters and they keep booking them in one-sided fights. They have Demetrius Andrade and Tevin Farmer, guys who I like fighting guys that I've never heard of sometimes. And if I've never heard of them, somebody who really follows sport, that's a problem. I've asked other reporters, yo, who is this dude in the main event at MSG theater on a Saturday night? I don't know. 
Like we're by, like we we cover the sport, and if you're finding hole in the wall, eighteen and two ten knockout level fighters that are main eventing, what are you really doing? So like yeah, just the promoters and the people behind the scenes need to come together and make good business because that's something that MMA has been able to do to make good fights. Yeah. Well, listen, Brian, I can't thank you enough for the time, and and you really are someone that I look uh, I look towards and. I get some motivation for just to, to keep grinding and all of that. And, you know, like you're, you're just a hustler. And I really, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you and all that you've done. And, uh, you know, thanks again for, for all your time. I appreciate that, John. And I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing a podcast now, now that you have some time, you know, some time to just, just, just relax a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time to do it, man. And it's good because you'll be able to get a lot of good conversations. And obviously you're someone who's naturally curious. So I think this is going to do well for you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm getting into the podcast game early. I'm glad nobody else has a podcast. <laughs> and uh, this is the time to strike.